Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast in general is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual medical or mental health advice. Welcome back to another episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host. I'm Kara Corinne I'm a certified health coach, and I help human beings heal their relationship with food and take their time, money, energy, and brain space back from diet culture so that they can spend more time living amazing lives that they love. Today, I'm really excited for our podcast guest. Her name is Danielle Gavin. She is known as I am Danny Adriana on Instagram. I've been a longtime follower and fan of hers. So I was so excited and like giddy. And I was a little nervous too to interview her because I had been such a longtime fan. And I learn even more from her today on this podcast episode. So I know that you guys are going to get a lot out of it and love it. Now, before we dive in, I have two really fun, exciting announcements. So if you're not familiar with uh, Danny or Danny's work on Instagram, then I am so excited to share with you about her Body Reconnect Tour. So maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. The Body Reconnect Tour is a six-week tour in the United States, and she's partnering up with Ashley Bennett, who is the body image therapist on Instagram. So you guys may or may not be following her as well, but if you're not following either of them, be sure to follow them. They post amazing stuff. And I am so excited to be giving away a ticket to the Body Reconnect Tour. So to give you a little bit of info, it is a workshop all about you and your body, how to compassionately reconnect with it by exploring positive body image, embodiment, creativity, self-acceptance, and social connection. It's going to be fun, relaxing, informative, and most of all, healing. So I'm going to be giving away a ticket to one of you because I'm so grateful to all of you for listening to the podcast. And I felt like this was such an amazing opportunity to not only support two women who I really look up to and admire and believe in their work, but then also an opportunity to give back to you guys who listen to the podcast, because I'm so grateful for you coming back each week, listening to this, this show that is such an important part of my life. And it's a really big reflection of like my heart. So the cities are Los Angeles, Portland, Oregon, Orem, Utah, Chicago, and Nashville, New York City. So to enter the giveaway, it's super easy. I wanted it to be really easy for you guys. All you have to do is take a screenshot of this podcast episode that you're listening to and then share it in your Instagram stories and then be sure to tag all three of us. So I'm going to leave all of our handles in the show notes, but you're going to tag I am Danny Adriana. You're going to tag body image underscore therapist and then you're going to tag me at Kara's Kitchen and then just hashtag Body Reconnect Tour Giveaway. And the giveaway is going to be open for two weeks because I want to give you guys an opportunity to listen and share. So you will have until August 7th, 2019 to enter the giveaway. So this is going live on July 24th. So if you're excited and you want to enter, that's all you got to do. Screenshot it, put in your stories, tag us, and you're automatically entered and the winner is going to be chosen at random on the 7th. And then after we choose the winner, you let me know what city you want to go to and we will get you your ticket. So I'm totally excited about that. I know it's going to be amazing. I'm going to go to the Los Angeles one because I just really don't want to miss out on this. It's going to be so epic. So I'm going to the LA one. Okay. So that's, that's awesome. Exciting announcement. Number one, awesome, exciting announcement. Number two is just 
to remind you that enrollment for Food Body Soul is still open. So Food Body Soul is my 12-week group coaching program plus an in-person retreat, and it's designed to help you take the crazy out of food, you know, learn to trust and respect your body again, and to create an amazing life that you love. So it's all about taking you from food obsession to food freedom, and enrollment is still open. It's an intimate group, and one of the things that I've mentioned before that I'm so excited for is that this is a group coaching program. So that means you have community and sisterhood. And one of the things that Danielle talks about in this interview was the importance of community in her journey, in her healing journey, and how to peel off the layers of diet culture and cultivate acceptance and respect for her body. And community played a huge role in that. And so Food Body Soul has the sisterhood, has the element of community. And so I know that for the women who are going to be in that group, it's going to be so amazing and so transformative. So if you're feeling called, I would love for you to go to karaskitchen.net forward slash FBS. Again, that's karaskitchen.net forward slash FBS. So FBS for Food Body Soul. And you can apply and we'll hop on the phone and we'll see if it's a good fit for you. And I'm just so freaking excited. We start at the end of September and the in-person retreat is in Los Angeles in California. So it's going to be so unbelievably epic. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. Today we have Dani Adriana, and she is a 26-year-old fat activist from far north Queensland, Australia. Her content online includes magical things like fat activism, self-care, and body positivity. She also aims to spread awareness about the overly stigmatized world of mental illness, specifically eating disorders and anxiety. Dani, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. All right. So let's just dive in. I'm going to read to you one of my favorite quotes and, okay. and then follow up with a question. So one of my favorite quotes is from Martin Luther King, and it says, you may be 38 years old as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job, or you are afraid that you will be criticized, or that you will lose your popularity, or you're afraid that somebody will stab you or shoot you or bomb your house. So you refuse to take a stand. Well, you may go on and live until you are 90, but you're just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death of the spirit. So... I want to know, Danny, what led you to decide to take a stand? What had you decided that you were going to speak out against the mistreatment of fat people and become a fat activist, even though it goes against the grain of conventional wisdoms and beliefs? Um, I think when you're dealing with marginalized bodies and you live in a marginalized body, um, it can feel like less of a choice and kind of just your existence. Mm. It's kind of hard to separate... Um, your experience in the world as a fat person for me and the things that I stand up for because they, it's a flow on effect, right? Like, you know, to deny my identity of something that's so visibly me would be very odd to try and live in a world and act as if those things that are oppressing me or those things that are affecting me and my community don't exist. Um, so it's kind of twofold in terms of that, but I guess like my real passion was more born out of 
um, I experienced eating disorders growing up and I was always a larger bodied person in an eating disorder body, which led to a lot of weird experiences um, that I think people in thinner bodies who have eating disorders don't necessarily experience. Uh, and when I saw how easy it was when the surge of Instagram came to find eating just like pro eating disorder content, how much easier it was than say me at 14 to get that. Um, I was just like, I have to do something about this. So when I initially started my Instagram account, it was like quote based and it was very much about like recovery and like Instagram was a different landscape than it is now. <laughs> so yeah, it was very much about that. And then from dating to sort of recovery stuff, I kind of fell into body positivity and then set up activism. So it all kind of led on. But now for me in terms of like in igniting my passion and like why I stand up for what I stand up for, it's it's a part of my existence. So I kind of, marginalized people don't really get a choice, even if they're not like actively at a grassroots community level, you know, fighting the oppression or marginalization in different ways. Um, they walk out of their house and they are who they are. So just by existing, it's kind of a radical act of resistance because they exist. <laughs> So, yeah, I think that's what sometimes people think that people say to me, like, why would you put yourself through this? Or why would you go on your Instagram and like get all this hate and deal with all of the very emotionally stressful stuff that I deal with? But for someone like me, who's quite like justice minded and I've always kind of been that way, it's kind of not really a choice. It's just part of who I am. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. that. Yeah, I totally feel that. And I and I really love that it's something that's so embodied within you. And I can imagine that there would be a lot of intensity online, being public and being so vocal. And I would imagine that there that there would I don't know if there's this desire there, but I, I imagine that there are people listening who are in marginalized bodies, specifically people in larger bodies, who would want to try to be complicit in the oppression by like trying to get smaller. So even though they're experiencing and existing in the marginalized body. So for someone who is like, like really still wanting to get smaller as opposed to standing up for themselves, what would you say? Um, I think it's a personal journey. I can't really tell anyone um, that if they're trying to get smaller or losing weight or any of those things that our society pressures on fat people to make us, really have worth or have value um it's really hard for me to sit there and say well you shouldn't do that right because the oppression that you experience as a larger body person to lose weight isn't like this like woo-woo pressure and every like it's reinforced by every single thing from every billboard you walk past to every family member you talk to to every workplace like lunchroom you walk into like it's it's reinforced as a good thing um, and lose weight losing weight is always seen positively um, regardless of the reason, even if you're sick or you have the flu or whatever it is, it's always seen as a positive reaction. So I think for those people, I would just say, just take yourself on a journey in terms of like identifying your cause of wanting to lose weight. And if it does come back to you wanting to fit in or you feeling like you have to, or you feeling like you're not worthy without being a smaller number, um, then once you start really critically analyzing that and kind of dealing with like the rage and anger that comes from you having to be in that position, uh, it's a much easier kind of way into like body acceptance and body neutrality and that you're not alone. You know, like I on my Instagram now might look like this fat positive, like take no shit kind of person, but 
I was also that girl on a diet for a billion years since I was the age of eight. And I was also the girl with the eating disorder. So like, I get that if you had told my 14 year old self that I would be who I am now, like I would have laughed in your face. So it's kind of less about like hurry, like you're, if you're not body positive, you're doing it wrong or losing weight, you're doing it wrong. It's kind of more about just like being open to like why you're making these choices and why you feel bad about your body, right? Because it all comes from somewhere. And if you're losing weight for the reason to just lose weight, to be smaller, you're allowed to critically analyze that. And I think what happens for a lot of people is when they shift from that losing weight mindset of trying to be smaller as a larger bodied person, there's a lot of fear around letting go of, of doing that. Not only because like they, ha- they have to accept their body, because I've lived their whole life being like, once I get to number, once I get to this size, everything will fall into place and my life will be perfect. Um, but also because you've got to grieve all the time that you spent on it. So a lot of people feel like I've spent 10 years on a diet. I've wasted my life. Like I'm going to stick to this. Like I'm not going to admit defeat and say like all of that time was a waste, right? It's, it's angering. It's like how, like you don't want to let go of that kind of almost like a fairy tale idea that it'll work out in the end. And everyone reaches that point at a different time, right? And everybody fluctuates through that point. Some people become like really fat positive and happy and then have a year or six months where they they fall back into those mindsets. And it's not really the fault of the larger bodied person, sorry, um, but the fault of society itself society is set up to reward that behavior which makes it really difficult for larger body people to step away from that behavior because it's not nice to be feeling like you're on the outside which is how it can feel when you first realize that losing weight and all of that idealization of smaller bodies is bullshit because it's like what mm-hmm. <laughs> like why did everybody tell me that's how it feels when you first jump into that and then also you have resistance from other people so it's it's a very difficult thing I think what I would say to people like as my number one point is just to find community support online because that's literally where you're going to connect with the people who are going through the same thing as you yeah absolutely I I really loved how you talked about how it's a journey And that like you have to go through, sometimes you have to go through all of these different phases and there's all these emotions that are attached. Like you mentioned rage and anger and sadness and mourning. And is there more that you want to share? Or I'm curious, is there any more insights so that you would want to share about your journey through all of those different varying like phases of it to be where you are now? It's hard because I think there are some people that are in larger bodies that are coming straight from diet culture who are losing weight, but not necessarily have had an eating disorder their whole life. However, I think there's probably a lot more people in larger bodies that fit an eating disorder category, but however, miss out on diagnosis because of the way the DSM criteria is due to BMI, which is really scary because when you look at society, it's kind of like what we say is an eating disorder in a thin person is just like a diet for a fat person. Um, which is interesting and something that I'm quite um, passionate in terms of talking about because I think people don't realize that it's encouraged. Like you would never tell an emaciated person to eat what you tell a fat person to eat. Like it's just, and a fat person still needs to live. Like, um, so yeah, that's interesting. I think for me, the biggest thing was like moving through those stages of like grief and anger and sadness and mourning and kind of 
waking up, it's kind of like you've had rose colored glasses on your whole life, right? And you've believed this story that once you get thin, you'll get a boyfriend or you'll go on holidays or you'll wear a bikini or you'll get a tattoo or all these things I had on my list to tick off that have happened while I'm fat, mind you. But I thought in my head, it was like, I couldn't actually do it. It wasn't acceptable for me to engage in that behavior or to have pleasure or be happy or um, be excited about life because my number one goal was so consumed with making myself smaller. Um, And once you get out of the bubble of that and you realize how much of it is based around like capitalism and greed and um, society having like health um, measures which are incorrect and just like the medical industry as a whole, like it's really disheartening and you can feel really untrusting of other people which is why community is so important so I think the thing that I want to touch on is like if you're going through this and you're kind of interested in body positivity or diet culture or like kind of moving towards something that makes you feel better about yourself in a way that isn't sold in this pretty package bow like the diet industry is um it's really important to find a community online or in real life because it can be a really isolating time as much as it is freeing and being like, wow, I can just do whatever and I can be happy. It's also really isolating because a lot of the time, not a lot of people around you will feel the same. Finding community and making sure that you are talking to other people who are also in on that journey um, kind of just reaffirms that it's not giving up, which is how a lot of people see it. Mm, yes. Like if I'm not pursuing weight loss anymore or this thinner body, am I just giving up on like what yeah. was my goal for so long? Yeah. Mm. You said, you said two, two things that I would love to dive in a little bit deeper. I think the element of community is so incredibly important, I, but I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper around what you were saying about larger body people with eating disorders and how you will treat them differently. So can you talk a little bit about that, about how eating disorders is not a body size issue and just dive into a little bit more about what you were getting at there? Sure. So obviously I'm not a health professional or someone who's trained in eating disorder diagnosis. So I can only ever speak from my eating disorder experience and from the experiences I've heard from my community and peers around me. But I think for me, the the hardest thing having an eating disorder as a larger body person, and now when I say larger body person, um, I don't want to use numbers because I know that could be triggering for some people, but I had an eating disorder from probably age 11-ish, that was probably the inception, and I started eating disorder recovery like with a psychologist when I was just after 18, but I wouldn't say that I was like actively in recovery till around 19, 20. So that's a pretty big chunk of my adolescence, right? And like when you're a teen, that literally feels like the end of the world. Everything is like at extremities. You literally feel like you're never going to grow up, but you're also like so young. It's it's such a time of juxtaposition. Um, and that really felt like for me too. The people that I had reached out to or had found out about my eating disorder behaviors it was very much seen as like she's not a thin girl so this is probably her just taking a diet a little too far or Mm -hmm. exercising a little too much but I was also I mean eating disorders are sneaky right like my whole thing was like I'm just being healthy I'm just being healthy I would repeat that until the cows come home um but one of the biggest reasons I didn't get help 
soon enough. Um, and we all know early intervention is the easiest way to recover from an eating disorder and the most successful way. Early intervention is key because your mind does really fucked up things when you're in an eating disorder space. And so I think the biggest thing stopping me from getting help and what I've heard about a larger body of people say is being disorder community can be quite comparison and as in my mind I always saw certain tiers of diagnosis as worse and what you wanted to achieve right so anorexia is right up the top and unfortunately with larger body people because of the DSM and when you're talking about like anorexia it's the BMI is one of the biggest indicators for diagnosis and People are and continue to be refused treatment for eating disorder until you hit a BMI. I was wondering. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. So, imagine having diabetes and having like an insulin issue and going to the doctor and they're like, oh, it's bad. You do have diabetes, but I've seen people in diabetic comas. So, until you're in the coma, just like chill out for a bit and then come back when you're in the coma and then we'll help you right? It's really counterintuitive because nobody would say that to a diabetic because comas can kill you and diabetes can kill you. However, when you have anorexia or bulimia or any type of eating disorder that is causing physical damage and more importantly to me, mental and emotional damage, because that's the hardest part to recover in anorexia or any eating disorder. People think if you just get weight stable, you're recovered. Well, that's bullshit because that's not the truth. Um, one of the biggest causes of eating disorder, um, premature death is suicide, right? You don't have to be any size. You can be any size to commit suicide. So this counterintuitive idea that you go to the doctor, you go to someone and they say, you don't fit the criteria. So keep losing weight and keep doing what you're doing until you're so sick that you don't even want help. You don't have the emotional, mental or physical help, um, or capacity, I should say, to receive that help. Um, so we're not going to help you until that point is like the most messed up thing because in the DSM, the only mental illness, which is what eating disorders are, not a weight loss, not a perfectionist idea that they need to be smaller. It's very much more complicated and complex than that. To say to someone out of the DSM, okay, these, these three or four mental illnesses, we're going to put a weight cap on it is extremely fat phobic and really misunderstood in terms of what eating disorders actually are. You know, the amount of people that have anxiety or perfectionism or type A or control issues or OCD when it comes to eating disorder is much more representative of how insidious that illness is. And nobody would say with someone with depression, well, I mean, actually they do with depression to lose weight, right? But you can still be diagnosed with depression without having to be small. Um, and eating disorders are the only DSM category where you need to reach a BMI standard. And BMI is bullshit anyway. <laughs> so I think the hardest thing for larger body people in terms of eating disorder recovery is that we don't even realize we have an eating disorder because we've been told we're on a diet. Yeah. But we're not. Yeah, we're not, right? We're not on a diet. We're significantly doing mental, mental <coughs> emotional, and physical abuse to ourselves in the name of health. And encouraged by society. So what is hard for me as an eating disorder survivor and someone who... I consider highly recovered, um, but I'm kind of one of the mindsets that I'm always in recovery because it makes it easier for me to move through my process. The hardest thing for me to watch is seeing organizations and smaller body people in the eating disorder community and not feeling connected to that experience at all 
because fat phobia and misdiagnosis is like one of the biggest reasons that large body people are isolated from that conversation and that support and that recovery. If we actually included larger body people in terms of, you know, research in terms of eating disorder recovery, I guarantee you there would be many, many more people suffering from eating disorders than we currently think. Um, and also this idea that weight restoration is like the be all end all is like really, the model of recovery is just broken in my opinion. Um, which is why I think larger body people, fat body people, or people that have had eating disorders um, that don't feel like they are represented in that experience of like a thin white teenage girl kind of style. And yeah, it leads to so many things like, you know, even thinking about how people say like obesity causes early death, right? Even though there's no causation in that at all. Um, saying that obesity causes early death, well, like stress is one of the best reasons that people have premature death if you're a fat person and you have an eating disorder do you not think that's like hella stressful for your life it's kind of a, a catch-22 like you you're never really seen as like suffering you're seen as like trying hard and that's not okay with me you've said so many good things like so much good important stuff that I think is going to be really helpful for people who are listening and it and it just I agree with you the recovery system is broken and weight restoration is not recovery at all and I, I agree with you as well that if we actually included larger bodied people in the research for eating disorders the numbers would be significantly higher significantly higher. And I remember the first time that I actually realized that eating disorders weren't a body size issue. I went to a, like an, an on, anonymous meeting for anorexia and bulimia, and there were people of all different shapes and sizes. And that wasn't what I was expecting. When I walked in, when I was going into that room, I was expecting to just see a bunch of like, exactly what you said, young, thin white women. And it was all mm -hmm. over the board. And it was the first time that I actually realized like, oh, this isn't a body size issue. So just all of the things that you're saying are so spot on. And I'm just so glad that we're having this conversation. This isn't actually something we've ever really talked about on the podcast. I'd love to shift gears here if you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. So a post on your Instagram, you had talked about how surprised you were that people get mad because a fat person is happy. Like they don't understand and they project their concerns about health onto you and others. So can you talk about this? Why do you feel people take such personal interest or offense? And what would you like these people to know who think it's their business to know what you eat, about your fitness, your health? Ooh, it's so multi-layered, right? So um, the root cause, I think, is fat phobia. But let's unpack that a bit. So I think that there's a big shift in society to see that obesity and fat people bodied people are one homogenous group that are exactly the same and all they do is like sit on the couch and eat ice cream and like that's why they're fat and if somebody just told them that you don't do that then they would be fat but body weight diversity has existed for centuries and will continue to exist for centuries and fat people are so different um just like thin people <laughs> Though you wouldn't know that from what, you know, society says. I think the thinly veiled ideas that they care about their, our health or they 
are worried about our drain on the tax system, which comes into a whole other like healthy privilege, um, kind of fucked up utopian dystopian idea of what healthcare system should be. Um, and obviously I live in Australia, so we have a public health system. America is very, very different. So, um, I think that can sometimes play into the conversation in terms of cost. Um, but I don't think that's the actual reason. I think that's an excuse to just treat people like shit. I think that a lot of, I usually get one or two types of people commenting those sort of things. Like you're not really happy. You're lying about being happy. It's usually one of two. So I usually have um, thin people who have literally grown up with the idea that they eat right, exercise right. Therefore they're worthy um, and their privilege plays into that. And they've grown up thinking fat people eat, and exercise extremely different to them and that's why they're fat and it's uh, kind of failing on fat people's part. So they've kind of grown up with that idea. They're also told by society that fat people's health and fat people's bodies are public consumption. So they're allowed to mock and make opinions based on how fat people look because it's not a good thing to be fat, right? And then I usually get another two types of people. So like one is either I get fat people who have internalized fat phobia so hard that they hate their fat bodies so much that when they see me being fat and happy, it makes them extremely mad. And I get why, um, but they find it so Im improbable that I am actually happy and they're so enraged by that that I kind of get comments from them. Or I get fat people who have lost weight um, who like check in with me when it's the 10 mark, but have lost weight and have think that they've cracked the code and that now because they're receiving privilege in terms of being able to find clothing sizes and all their friends and family telling them how great they look and um, being accepted as a thin person and being kind of this like, hero champion story of like I'm a fat person and I overcame the fact they want to share all their information with me about how I can lose weight too even though you know pretty much all studies that have showed long-term weight loss people gain weight back because our bodies you know want to keep us alive and stuff which is kind of cool so yeah I kind of get those three things I think it really does come from a deep root of fat phobia and that's the overarching thing right but I think when you say that, people think, well, I'm not afraid of fat people. It's like, well, no, you're not afraid of them, but you've been taught that they're of lesser worth. And some people on the internet gain their worth by asserting their privilege over others because it makes them feel good, right? So it's a very, like, complex, and obviously I don't want to speak, I mean, not that I care, but I don't really want to speak every hater's personal experience because I'm sure it comes from, like, deep um, insecurities within them as well. Um, but this idea that we can comment and judge fat people's bodies isn't really like an individual view, it's like a societal view. So, um, you know, how many times have we heard war on obesity in an article or something? Suddenly fat people become like not individuals, they become like this one mass group that all do the same thing and we're kind of like a subspecies of like the population. And that's not even going into, you know, the extra marginalization and oppression challenges that people of color or people in the disability community or people in the queer community or any other marginalization that isn't like white and fat. So yeah, I really do think it comes from just like this idea that 
fat is bad, fat is ugly, fat is unworthy, fat is lazy, fat is... So how the hell could this fat person be happy? Like, they're obviously lying, which is really just like the basis of fat phobia, right? The idea that all fat people have the same experience. So we're not really a monolith. And like, even I, like, yes, I talk about activism, but I'm not like the patron saint of fatties. Like, my experience is very different from another fat person. So the more fat people that talk about their individual marginalization experience, um, the better we're off as a community because we're not the same. So, yeah. You said so many amazing things and I'm learning so much from listening to you speak and what you have to share about your experience. And, and I think that you're right that there is some confusion around like what fat phobia is and you were alluding to all of these different things but are there other ways that are other more that you'd like to share about what you think fat phobia is and also the internalization of fat phobia as well because you had mentioned that like fat people will attack you and you think that it's because of their own hatred of themselves oh Um, yeah so um I think with any marginalization group that has been seen as lesser or has been looked down upon, we can internalize that phobia too, right? Like, um, you know, people in the community have like internalized homophobia. We all do. Like there's, there's a lot of um, being told you don't fit in, you're bad. And when you're actually that person, suddenly the f- it's not this foreign concept of, oh, those people over there are bad you're looking in the mirror and you're like, oh, I'm the bad one. And suddenly that hatred becomes really festering in terms of your existence. So not only are you mad at yourself, but you're also mad at other people who represent your group because you don't want to be associated with those bad things. Because deep down, you know you're not bad. You know you're not lazy. You know you're not ugly, unworthy person. But we're drilled into that so hard. So when you see other people living their truths in a happy way, it can really enrage you. I think fat phobia to me is kind of like this indoctrined idea that especially for women the size of your body equals your worth and on this scale if you're thin or if you fit more of the beauty standard of what our ideal is you are a morally good person and if you're fat it's like the diet culture idea that you um don't have any willpower right you don't have any willpower you're not a trustworthy person you're not a person that can be seen as like someone who works hard or follows through um there's so many lead-ons from just the idea that fat is bad that i think people think well fat is bad because you're unhealthy well that's already a lie from the get-go so we're already mistaken there but i think also with the promotion especially in terms of media especially in around the 2000s in terms of like the war on obesity Um, A lot of articles around parents with obese children, this idea that technology is making us fatter, all of these reasons. It was kind of like, the way I look at media in terms of like the last 20 or so years, it was kind of like before the 80s, they act as if fat people didn't exist. Like everyone in the 60s and 50s ate really good, right? And we were all like 16 size Marilyn Monroe looking women. Like, it's just not true. 
Um, I think with the push of social media and with people having their own platforms, we're starting to see more body diversity than we've ever seen because we're not just looking at movies or TV or general newspapers where people in privilege and power put people in privilege and power in those types of media. Suddenly we're seeing all these different bodies and for some people that's kind of like, oh my God, society's changed so much. It's like, well, no, it just means all of these people were never represented. They existed They just were never represented. So this kind of push, especially in the 2000s with like The Biggest Loser and like shows that are really exploitative, like My 600 Pound Life, all of those sort of things start to put in people's heads like, oh, fat people are bad, even worse than I thought. And like, there are so many more fat people. And it's like, well, no, there's not. It's just now... I think this is kind of going off topic a bit, but part of my, I've read a lot about this and I think part of the reason that we're moving into such like a health phobic society, apart from the whole like dystopian, the world is on fire, like we're not going to have any food and water kind of thing that's going on, um, which is valid, but is the idea that before, like in the 19th and um, 18th century and 17th century, religion played a really big part in all of our lives, right? A lot of people went to church, a lot of people were religious. It wasn't just because you chose religion, it was like your social group, it's where you hung out with people, it was the way you um, met different people, it was just a part of society that even if you weren't a really religious person, church and religion was a big part of your life. Um, And I think a lot of us looked at religion to kind of see whether we were good or bad people, whether we were good or evil, whether we were sinners or whether we were, um, you know, um, morally, morally good for society. And now that we've moved, there's been a big push away from religion, especially in younger generations that are looking more into spirituality or like um, health or like, you know, um, those kind of topics. I think there's been a big push to now see um, thinness and health, especially in terms of like eating clean and all of those kind of crazy things in terms of like our new rating system of like absolution. So we kind of see fat people as not moral and not good, um, not just because we are now more visible, but also because society is changing in terms of how we judge others in terms of moral, moral character. And I think that has a big part to play in why health and fitness and fitspo and clean eating and all of this, like, kombucha green eating kale kind of movements has caught on so much because humans are always looking for a way to like better themselves which is awesome but it also means that we kind of hold on to really unstable framework uh, that tells us who's good and bad and fat people unfortunately are still on the bad end of that spectrum because of society and health and the messaging we receive about fat bodies and that's where fat phobia is like people think it's like when you get old but fat phobia exists from such a young young age it's how we talk about fat bodies it's how we talk about thin bodies and that stuff is passed through almost organically to our kids if we're not careful with the kind of messaging that we're intaking and giving to them in terms of diversity so yeah Oh my God. So good. I don't think I had fully, I've, I've thought about that perspective a little bit through other conversations that I've had on the podcast, but I don't think Mm -hmm. that it was explained to the extent in which you explained it about creating this system of finding morality and how we could have, we could be replacing this religious determinant with healthism. 
Mm. Oh yeah, I do think it's a big thing. Like I think the other part of that like equation is like in terms of health is like humans have like an innate fear of death, right? Like we're made to survive, we're made to like push through. We're all here because our ancestors survived, right? That's why we're here. They survived enough to procreate and create us. So there's this deep fear of death that we have. So I think health like you know how people always say, oh, obesity is going to lead to an early death. Like, I hate to break it to everybody, but everybody's going to die. And I know that sounds really horrible and morbid, but we're all going to die. I think people truly believe that if they are thin, they're living the healthiest version of themselves. So death won't touch them. And it's great to be proactive about your health. It's great to feel good in your body. And I'm not saying like, don't eat vegetables or don't exercise or don't do things that you feel good. But it's this idea that we can almost cheat death and that everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to live like the longest life they possibly could. Like it comes back to that idea of like quality over quantity or like even the quote that you did at the start of the podcast that Martin Luther King wrote, um, this idea that, you know, are you really living if you're like subscribing to these ideals of like what health is and like punishing your body and like pushing your body and like depriving your body of like goodness and pleasure. And like, you know, nobody ever died because they had an ice cream. Like it, it makes you feel good. <laughs> like there's just so much around health is like about morality and death and people see fat people as dying early. And that's a fear of theirs. They're like, why would you want to die early? And it's just this mixed up, complicated relationship with the health system that has pushed this like idea that death and morality is like connected to fat people's existence. Um, mm. And that's really dangerous for fat people because believe it or not, that actually makes fat people's health worse. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Just from the stigma and the stress and being yeah. excluded from society and struggling to exist in public places and to find clothes and to know that you're being judged negatively and incorrectly does right or even go to the doctor right or even get surgery or be allowed to undergo treatment or get IVF or do anything that thin people are allowed to do so um yeah it's it's really if thin people and doctors and health professionals actually cared about the fact actually cared about people's health um our medical systems wouldn't look like this yeah I agree with you I I I that last line is really potent and really intense but you're right like if they actually truly cared about a fat person's health like the human being their health it wouldn't be set up the way that it is no and i think unfortunately thin people walk into a doctor's office as individuals with their own medical history and are treated as individualistic people that have various things that are affecting their health right fat people walk in and they're like oh your problem is you're fat it's like you can only be told that so many times by doctors and you're like, well, you're not going to help me. It's your job. You're supposed to help me. And you give me anxiety and you make me feel bad about myself. And everything that you're saying doesn't work because if you, if you literally walk into a doctor's office and your doctor thinks that fat people have never tried to lose weight and it's just never occurred to them, um, they're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Straight up. Yeah. Straight up. Like I literally, before we got on this podcast, I was listening to like a self-development podcast and both episodes from this podcast mentioned weight loss and like trying to lose weight. And I was like, I'm literally like listening to a personal development podcast and it's talking about losing weight. And I was like, I can't escape it. Like, yeah. Well, I think like 
this year I was thinking about doing a life coaching course and like usually when you do a life coaching course in Australia through like a body you either pick like business coaching or like wellness coaching um I've learned that wellness coaching just means weight loss yeah um, and I'm like I don't want to pay for this course to get credited to do shit that I don't believe in and nor do I want to argue with my facilitator the entire time I take that course so it's really interesting that to make your life better and life coaching and kind of this idea of like counseling around like illness is now, oh, but you, you want to be thin, right? Like, yeah, yes. Like I, I hear you so loudly. Like, and I, and I just, what's your reaction? Like, I'm curious of how you um, respond to it. And It depends on the day. Like that's the honest truth. Like as a marginalized person, I already face discrimination at the forefront I think what frustrates me at times with thinner people is that it's like anything though like I obviously am like this with other um marginalized groups that I'm not a part of is that it makes me so enraged and angry right but then I feel really disempowered because I'm not too sure what to do about it yeah um, so it takes a lot of, like work and um research and like time to put in um to other marginalized groups that I may not be a part of to make sure that I'm being a good ally I think for fat people, though, it's a really, I can look at it objectively and I can look at it, especially when I talk with amazing, intelligent people like you who understand what I'm talking about. Like, I can look at it and not be as angry anymore and just be like, we're in this. And um, I think fat people can't always be really angry about it because then we wouldn't live our lives. Um, there has to be time for like joy and um, retreat and like community that is based around celebration and happiness that isn't just like world is on fire because that's how it feels when you're a marginalized person or um, any person looking at the world landscape that cares about people at the moment it's it's really about trying to find the balance between self-care and compassion and kindness with yourself um, but also allowing for those moments of rage because it doesn't just come from like, oh, this makes me so angry. I wish I could help fat people. It's like, oh, that's literally me. Like I could be as angry as I want about it, but I guarantee you that if I went to like 95% of the doctors in my town that isn't my G, um, I would have a very similar experience. That's not just angry. That's like, oh, it just feels like a kick in the guts time and time and time again. And it actually feels really exhausting more than anything. Not really anger, just like, exhaustion and tiredness and defeat but on the flip side there's also really cool stuff happening and we kind of have to make sure that we're taking in as much cool stuff as we can and not always just talking about um the oppressive horrible side of it which is very real and valid but i've learned that the longer i stay in that angry period for longer pieces of time it makes my life really awful um, and there are good things, you know, there are good things happening. There are, there is progress being made. There is healthcare providers out there that do care about you. And there is fat people out there who want to welcome you to the community and like wear bikinis and have fun pool parties. And there's, there's so much cool stuff happening. So it's kind of like, how do you balance the two? And I don't know the correct answer to that because I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure out how to balance those two emotions and those two experiences um while also pushing forward um but overall i think the biggest thing is just it's really exhausting um as fat people which is why we need allies and why we need more people talking about it um to death and what i mean by more thin people talking about it is like to other thin people <laughs> and then family members and thin friends not 
taking up space at the table of fat people and being like, well, I think, because if you haven't experienced mar- um, a marginalization, I'd, your voice should be a part of the chorus, but not necessarily like the solo act, in my opinion. And that goes the same for me. You know, there's certain spaces where I, especially in like fat person of color spaces, which are the original creators and amazing people that founded body positivity and fat activism and fat positivity, I, I still have so much to learn from them. So it's kind of like balancing everything, right? Life is complicated. So there's not a clear one, two, three path. It's kind of just like you wake up and you live as a human and it's messy and um, you try and make tomorrow better. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. As someone who wants to be an ally, I would mm-hmm. love to know how, so you had alluded there, and I think I heard you correctly, that if you want to be an ally, a thin ally to this movement, did you say that you recommend talking to other thin people? Okay. Yeah. So one of the biggest thing, in terms of like talking to other thin people about, on an interpersonal level, if that makes sense. So like, you know, when your friend says that she can't have that piece of cake because, you know, she'll have to work extra hard on the elliptical or something, like kind of just like not being mean to people, but just like kind of raising questions for people in their mind and start like that little unraveling of like diet culture. I think that's the first plus place to plant the seed. Because if you go in hard, like you hate fat people, why do you hate fat people? They're going to be like, I hate fat people, what the hell? But you have to kind of plant the seed of diet culture and move into like body positivity. I think the biggest way thin people, which is kind of counterintuitive to me, but I think the biggest way I've seen the shift in thin people in terms of getting to the fat positive place, fat positivity place is once they deal with their own body dissatisfaction in terms of beauty standards on a more uh, generalized level and um, deal with their own body insecurities, once like anyone, once you get past your own shit, you have more capacity to deal with um, other things in your brain and in your life. So I think it's really pushing people to find that body neutrality for themselves because everybody deserves that. Um, And then kind of raising the topic of like privilege and not making people feel bad about that, but making people be really understanding that they have power in helping people who are less privileged than them um, to be equal. And if you're someone who cares about other people, um, that's a really simple, but like a really simple thing to do, right? You care about equality. So you should be equal. Yeah. Yeah. And I do get that on the interpersonal level, like that's really important because that's kind of how things start to change is when you be the change yourself and then you can share the change. And I loved how you said to enter into it softly with just some light curiosity around bringing the awareness around diet culture. It's, it's hard because I, I suppose I approach the way I would like thin people to approach allyship the same way I approach trying to be an ally to people of color, right? Like I talk about racism with my white friends. I talk about racism with, um, you know, my family and like, um, when there's elections or when there's people running for politics or something in the media, I'll bring it up and talk about it. And not always does everyone agree with me, but I I try to offer different perspectives than what the generalized view is. If someone has that, or then try to take on board other people's experiences or other people's information. I don't go into a person of color space um, and start educating pers- people of colour about racism or inequality or um, 
those types of things. So sometimes where I think sometimes with body positivity, the line can be crossed a little bit by thin people is that then thin people think that they're an expert in body positivity and body neutrality, body freedom. Um, and nobody's free unless the marginalized people are free. Um, so it's kind of important for those voices to be uplifted. Um, because a thin person can hate themselves terribly and have really bad body image. But when they walk out into the world or when they go to the doctor's office, they, they will not be treated the same way a person is. Um, and that's just fact. So it's about the balance of someone working through their interpersonal stuff, but also realising that your experience is different from others. And that can be hard because a lot of people have significant trauma in bodies of all sizes, right? And it can feel like you just want to be, well, this is my story and this is what I'm going through. And, um, but your voice adds to a conversation. So your voice is adding to the conversation. And unfortunately, the body positive movement has been taken over by a lot of thin people. And then that, for, that becomes the main conversation. So it's really about just kind of thinking about whether your voice is needed on a certain topic um, in a public sense um, and also what your responsibility in terms of equality for bodies looks like in a personal setting because mm. they're different. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like I really get what you're saying and I definitely have <clears throat> seen, seen people online talk about how potty positivity has been like thinned out, like thinned down, kind of like how they'll talk about things being whitewashed in terms of like the conversation around racism, about things being whitewashed and then the body positivity being co-opted by thin people, but then also co-opted by like diet culture. Yeah. It's whenever there's something of popularity, um, it tends to then be consumed and promoted by thin white people. It's just, that's the default of our society, right? And unfortunately, especially as white people, we just kind of grew up with this idea that we're really entitled to every everything. And we're just like, our worth is just because we exist. Um, but we don't necessarily treat other people like that. And it's, it's a hard unpacking and I don't have all the answers. I'm still a really privileged person that's trying to work through this and, you know, balance my interpersonal stuff with the external stuff. But unfortunately, body positivity has kind of taken this very, like, as long as you're healthy kind of tagline. And that's pissed a lot of fat people off because um, we're here doing shit or like people before me were doing this shit since fat liberation and fat activist movement started in the 60s. You know, this isn't a new thing. Instagram just didn't exist and then fat people were like, oh, we deserve rights. Like people have been fighting for this for a long time. And that comes with kind of learning and reading. I think the biggest way I learn and develop empathy and compassion and kind of tool allyship is really by reading people's experiences. That's one of my favorite ways to get to know people and everybody's different. Um, but reading great books of experiences of fatness or um, racism or, you know, it, it doesn't mean I'll ever understand um, marginalized communities that are unlike me because I can never walk a day in their shoes. But it gives me a frame of reference that I probably wouldn't have had because mainstream media doesn't show their stories. So 
it's important to make sure that you're the more you read and the more you listen to other people's stories I think the easier the allyship stuff conversation happens because you are not just going off what you think you're going off people's experiences and it makes it a much more individualistic human connection experience rather than rather than something that's like really politicized or or made into the narrative that white people want us to hear yeah yeah I think that that last line like really kind of hits the nail on the head like you actually get to experience the human experience of people going through those things as opposed to the story that the white thin privileged person wants to tell you about it which is are yeah. two entirely different things and you would kind I want to chat a little bit more about body positivity uh, you posted literally just yesterday on your Instagram feed that you don't need to love your body to be body positive so I'd love for you to dive into that what do you mean and can you explain to us Sure. Body positivity was initially um, founded and promoted and radicalized and created as space for fat people of color, uh, particularly fat women um, of color that felt like they were represented and didn't really have community and were fighting for the rights and to combat the oppression that they experienced. So I really want to acknowledge them and their contribution to the birth of body positivity because it probably wouldn't be what it was or what it is without them. Um, I think body positivity is a really misleading title though. I don't think the people who marginalise misunderstand it, but I think people of privilege misunderstand it. So when you take the words just for what they are, body positive, positive about my body, it kind of turns into this like, well, I should be positive about how I look, right? And women particularly are told their whole entire life like image is an issue body image is an issue like you should feel good however you look but then also on the same thing like you're a piece of shit and you should feel bad about how you look the rest of your life because you're not this or that or whatever so I think a lot of people who maybe aren't as marginalized see body positivity and they think okay I'm going to be positive about my body they then relate that to the messaging they've received about bodies so they're like oh I'll be positive about my body as long as it's thin and healthy and like dressed up and has makeup on right because they're the kind of standards we need to set for ourselves the minimum standards of beauty and it kind of comes into a conversation around beauty and um, whether someone looks good what's flattering those kind of conversations that are actually rooted in body oppression but people think that they're like freedom but I don't really think they are um for marginalized people body positivity is literally like we feel positively about our body that equals our self-worth right so not I feel pretty today and I look really good so therefore I am worth something I am worth something because I have a body therefore I'm going to be positive about it and I'm going to push positive movement forward in terms of ending oppression for my marginalized group or my marginalized experience or whatever whatever experience you've had individually or as a community together think the name is misleading but also people always end up saying to me well if you were actually positive about your body you'd lose weight right because suddenly body positivity has become commercialized and kind of co-opted by this idea that like I was saying that 
body positivity to be positive in your body. It has to be a positive thing and positive in our society is thin and healthy or whatever healthy means because I think that's a really misleading word. Um, I wish that more people sat in body neutrality because I think one of the other big mistakes of body positivity is people are like, okay, I hate, I hate, I hate my body. And then they find body positivity and they're like, oh, now I've got to work to love my body. And then once I get there, then I won't hate my body anymore and I'll just stay up here. But the truth is, is that <coughs> your body image personally will always ebb and flow. I always feel worse when I feel sick. I always feel I have chronic illness. I have PCOS. So there's a lot going on with me hormonally sometimes with the month I just hate what I look like I hate you know how frizzy my hair is or you know whether I've got spots on my face there's certain things that are ingrained in me in a beauty standard that I might not be able to break but it makes me feel shitty about my body does that mean I'm not body positive no because the idea that I am gonna like love myself 24 7 and become this complete narcissist who just wants to look in mirrors all day and thinks I'm like the hottest thing that ever invented it's not that I don't want to be that. It's that it's not really valid to me. It's, it's the idea that I, body neutrality and body acceptance comes from a place of being like, even if I feel the worst I've ever felt about my body, it actually doesn't matter what I look like. I am a worthy and valid person just for existing. And I can have those feelings and emotions come up, but it doesn't mean I act on them, right? So it doesn't mean that I then go on this weight loss diet or I buy this dress that's really uncomfortable, but everybody said looks really flattering because it's really tight and cinches me in at the waist. It means I make choices around comfort, kindness, and compassion for my body. So make sure I'm eating, make sure I'm sleeping, make sure I'm drinking, regardless of whether I think that my body looks good or not. Because when it comes down to it, it actually doesn't matter whether your body looks good to you, to somebody else, to society, because all of that is just framework that is illusion. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. There is no, there is a currency of beauty in our society, but you don't have to live by it. And actually, when you look at the currency of what worth and beauty is, for women, it's a fleeting, it's a fleeting thing. Once you hit 30, once you hit 40, or once you get wrinkles, or once you have a child, or once, 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 you automatically don't fit into that. Unless you're a 15-year-old white skinny girl, like you don't fit into that standard anymore. So chasing this illusion is just so pointless to me. And it's so wasteful of my time on this earth that I would rather just reject that. So for body positivity to just be about feeling good about how you look, that's definitely a part of it. And if people get empowerment from that, all the better. You know, when you get like a haircut or you get a new dress or something that makes you feel good, it could be anything. Maybe you went for a run or you had lunch with your partner, whatever makes you feel like glowy inside. Yes. So have you noticed that those experiences make you feel better about your body, right? They make you feel like glowy and sparkly and excited about life but you can achieve them as well without having to have a focus on just what you look like. Cause for women, we've been told that's the number one thing in our life to achieve. I don't think, I think men feel this in a more of a masculinity, toxic masculinity type of like muscly strong kind of way. But I think their terms of like self-worth are more abstract, right? Like how many dudes have you seen just rock up to work in like jeans and a t-shirt and like they brush their hair, but like the minimal effort they made. And they don't feel like they need to like go out and buy new shoes or like do their hair a certain way or buy makeup. Like, their, their worth intrinsically comes from a different set of standards. Now, that doesn't mean that men have a better set of standards. It's just different. So <clears throat> I think it, 
body neutrality and body acceptance being your goal in terms of like, I treat my body with compassion and kindness and it doesn't matter what I look like, I'd still deserve that level of respect. That is going to carry you further in life through all the change and different things that will happen to you and the way your body grows and stretches and the wrinkles you get and stretch marks you achieve, all of those things. Then if you're like, every step of the way, I have to think I'm like a Grecian goddess and I woke up like Beyonce because it doesn't happen. Like nobody feels like that. And you might feel like that for a split second or on your wedding day or when you do something really self-caring and nice to yourself and you deserve to feel that way. But holding yourself to a standard of like, okay, I hated myself and now I have to love myself is just as stupid as being like, I have to hate myself. It's not achievable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just don't think that it's about loving what your body looks like. I think it's just understanding that your body's good. It's a good body and it's valid. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and like, I love that we're talking about this because my podcast is called Love Your Bod Pod. And like, I chose it because it's, a, it rhymes and it like rang nice. And you know, I, it just like was fun off the tongue. And I think that it's that to an extent it's misleading that like, I think that it's about loving what your body looks like. And I think that it's just about knowing your body's a good body because it exists. Yeah. Yeah. So one or two last questions. I want to be super respectful of your time. You kind of mentioned this a little bit in, in the beginning when we were talking about your journey, but what have been some of the instrumental tools that have helped you with your body neutrality, body acceptance journey? You mentioned community. Okay. Yeah, community, it's kind of twofold. So from an individualistic lens, like therapy, 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 I'm the biggest like advocate for going to get therapy, even if you think, quote unquote, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, it's just so nice to have a space where you can explore things, but also I'm a very like, like, how can I say this? So like my mom is someone who like, if something traumatic happens to her or if something bad happens to her, she's a very much like, let's get to the, let's fix this situation and then like move on with my life. Um, and doesn't spend a lot of time in reflection because that's just the kind of person she is. She's like a go, 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 like move forward, push forward kind of person. Um, I'm someone who's like very, I'm very extroverted, but I have this like introverted side that's like very like a deep inner world that I like kind of like look for meaning and I, and I'm very obsessed with people's history and I, I love history in general and I'm like introspective. So for me, therapy is like needed for someone like me to move through the world to process things. Cause if I don't person process them outside of myself, they tend to fester. Um, and also I'm someone who likes to talk a lot and really like hash out situations. So therapy is something for me that was really helpful. Um, and that's not just for eating disorder recovery, but like general life as a marginalized person. The thing that I think is most helpful though for us as a community is community, because I think, um, there's a lot of push towards like, you need to see a dietitian or you need to see a health professional or you need to see someone who is a professional person professional services are so helpful in terms of especially like mental illness or extreme um eating disorder recovery or something that you really need professional assistance and guidance through that maybe people around you or peers aren't as equipped to deal with however i think that if someone only has professional support and no peer support so no community around them whether that be online or in real life um they will not progress and bloom as much as they could because the biggest thing for marginalized people or like anyone who's had mental illness or anyone anyone who suffered through trauma is validation and the only way you receive validation is not through you can receive it through health professionals or through um, professionals in general but 
the biggest thing that's helped me is to make me realize like my experience is not isolated and I'm not alone and that other people in this journey too and that their resources and their experience and knowledge can help me without that peer support I just don't see as much of a push in terms of like really making sure that our thoughts and our learning is like radical around these topics it's not radical enough to just see a professional and work on your individual stuff it's kind of what I was saying before about learning experiences from other people um it just that connection that you receive with other people whether that be online or real life or hopefully both just make you feel validated as a person um and validation and being seen and being heard and being understood is so powerful as a human that connection that we get from that is like so powerful and healing and if we don't have that I think I feel like the healing process can take longer and also it just takes a different um, feeling because being isolated in your pain is not healthy for anybody. And even though there's never going to be one person that has the exact same experience as you, um, there will be people that you relate to and there will be people that you find strength from in different ways. Um, And the only way you can do that is through community. Yeah, I I completely agree okay danny this has been amazing like you i'm so grateful for you and your work and for being on this podcast and sharing all of your knowledge i learned so much today i know the listeners are going to learn a lot i would love it if and you're coming to the u.s so (laughs) yay can you talk to us about the body reconnect tour okay so me and my friend ashley bennett of the body image therapist on instagram Um, she is an art therapist um, and clinical therapist that works in private practice, um, for her own business in Melbourne. Um, and a lot of the work she does is around art therapy. So we've met up a few times at different things in Australia. Um, and like our favorite thing is to like meet people in real life who follow us or connect with community. That's like our big thing. So, um, she was supposed to go to the US and I kind of sort of bullied my, not bullied, but kind of like disinserted myself in the trip. No, she wouldn't say that, but I was just like, I want to go. That sounds awesome. So, um, the Body Reconnector, we decided to create because we love community and we love connecting with other people. So we thought what better place to go than America? Cause we've never been, um, and so me and Ashley decided to come up with the Body Reconnect Tour, which is a 60 tour. We're going to LA, um, Portland, Oregon, Orem, Utah, uh, Chicago, Nashville, and New York City, all through the month of October. Um, and we bring you a five-hour workshop, which um, includes three different parts. So the first part is an art therapy part with Ashley that goes for three hours. Um, that's about embodiment and working through body image and kind of um, those sort of self-compassion tips through art therapy. So a lot of people think art therapy, I have to be good at art. It's like high school art class, but it's actually got nothing to do with the finished product or like whether you're good at art or not. It's kind of more about the idea of like making something and having it in the world, which is really powerful. Um, And then I'm doing an hour talk about the power of um, the importance of peer support, which is kind of what we were talking about in this podcast in terms of community and outreach and privilege. Um, So that It'll be an hour discussion, um, which will be really fun. And then we've got like an hour that's like a meet and greet. So um, you can take photos with us. You can ask us questions. You can get to know other people in your area who are interested in body positivity and fat activism um, and kind of connect with them, um, which is really cool. And yeah, so we're bringing it to six cities. I was so excited. Um, Tickets are on sale now. And there's also hardship and payment plans available um, 
for the cost if you can't afford the ticket straight up. Um, and I'm sure I can send you all the details, the links and stuff like that. Yes, please do. I'd love to add them into the show notes. Um, I'm yes. so excited for this tour. This sounds awesome. I'm so excited for your trip to the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. Is there? I've never been, so I'm very excited. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and then why don't you share with us about your Patreon page so that people who want to support you and support your work can do that. Sure. Um, so Patreon, if you haven't heard from about it before, it's kind of like a subscription service. So kind of like the idea where you used to like buy a subscription to a magazine and then you get a magazine every month. It's kind of the same thing. So there's different tiers um, and each tier unlocks certain rewards. So for example, my best fat friend tier unlocks um, a Facebook group, which is just dedicated for my patrons who support me. Um, and it's like a really inclusive community based space in Facebook that's private where people can share stuff about their day or or um, ask questions or talk about their positive journey and learn from other people. So if you're looking for like really solid community support, that's a really great tier. Um, but it helps fund my work. So like my website costs, like the work I'm doing um, helps with getting like the body reconnector off the ground and those sort of things. Um, and you get different rewards um, depending on which tier you are and more like one-on-one -on -one interaction with me, which is like my favorite thing to do with um, people who follow me. Yay. That's awesome. I love that. That I love the internet for all of these cool new things that we know. I know. I'm so glad I live at this time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Me too. I'm like, I was born at a good time. <laughs> mm. Danny, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful for your time. And this is an epic episode and I know that listeners are going to love it. Thank you so much for having me. I like literally have had so much fun talking to you. You're so um, knowledgeable and smart and I just really love connecting with other people who are on like the same sort of journey as me so I really appreciate you having me on. Mm, wasn't that just awesome? I learned so much from Danny. I hope you loved this interview today and like I had mentioned in the beginning if you want to enter to win a ticket to the Body Reconnect Tour which I don't know why you wouldn't all you have to do is share a screenshot of this podcast episode in your Instagram stories tag all three of us so at I am Danny Adriana, at body image underscore therapist, at Kara's Kitchen, and then hashtag body reconnect tour giveaway. And you can pick whichever city you want to go to. So you can pick from Los Angeles, Portland, Oregon, Orem, Utah, Chicago, Illinois, Nashville, Tennessee, or New York City, New York. And it's all taking place in October of 2019. Now you're going to have two weeks to enter the giveaway, I wanted to give people plenty of time and opportunity to listen to the podcast and enter. So this goes live on July 24th. I'm going to pick the winner on August 7th. So if you're listening to this after August 7th, 2019, I am sorry, but it is closed. But if it's before August 7th, go ahead and enter into the giveaway by sharing this in your Instagram stories. And I hope you loved it. If you loved it, share it with a friend who would benefit from listening to it or leave a ratings and review on iTunes. It always helps the podcast reach more people and I would always be so grateful if you would do that. And thank you so much for tuning in to the Love Your Bod Pod this week and I will see you all next week.